Welcome back to the Block Fuel Podcast. We are here with Justin Bannon, who is the co-founder of Boson Protocol, the universal settlement layer of Web3. Boson Protocol enables anyone to sell physical products in the metaverse as NFTs within the Decentraland space, Boson Protocol. I previously led the priority pass group to over $1 billion annually in revenue. Uh, with an academic background in physics, digital innovation, and crypto, Justin applies first principles thinking to solve human problems with technology by combining cool tech with deep tech. And he imagines a future where commerce is open, fair, and equitable. So Justin, we always kick off, obviously, with the uh, overview of who you are, but we'd love to have you share a little bit further because this was written down, obviously, as a bio. So we want to tap into you as well if you want to just share a quick background in yourself and then we'll get into some of the questions. Yeah, sure. I've got this kind of, yes, background that's a mixture between business and and then a bit more kind of geeky academic. So I started out doing like a physics degree and then I worked, as you mentioned, for a company called Priority Pass who were basically selling like airport lounge visits, but as paper and plastic vouchers. And in power to working for them, I, I did a master's in digital really early. And I thought, what happens if we digitize these vouchers? And so I created like digital vouchers and not just for airport lounges, for a whole host of different things across the airport space and kind of scaled that business. Yeah. From about 50 million to about a billion dollar turnover, basically creating digital representations of physical products and services and selling those via apps and stuff and selling them to MasterCard and Visa, et cetera. Um, and so that was like the genesis of this concept of digitizing became tokenizing. And so I, then I did the second masters just before I left there. And that's when I thought, hold on a minute, what happens when you find a way to tokenize real world assets as blockchain vouchers? And what would the properties of those be? And what would that, and realize that this was like one of the most fundamental problems in web three. So yeah, I just left working there. I was heading up the, the whole, the, the, the kind of group, the travel experiences group there and did the sensible thing with a 11 month old child, which was left there and started a web three startup in the middle of a bear market. So obviously my wife thought I was mad slightly less. So now, yeah, I think, I guess I was like probably about five years ago and here we are today. So NFTs, you mentioned a little bit into that, and we always joke, it's no longer these, these whimsical JPEGs that a lot of people have gotten rug pulled, unfortunately, with. And you're talking about bringing real life assets online. If you could delve a little bit more into that, just in terms of maybe it was with Priority Pass, but what you guys are now building today, are these like t-shirts now that I have the physical t-shirt and then you have a NFT representation of that, or could you just dive a little bit further into that? Yeah. Firstly, we're built where there's a core protocol, uh, a DAP and a whole suite of kind of these uh, widgets and apps. But the core problem that I ident identified back then and which we we've now solved is web three commerce is if we were to trade a digital art NFT, then what happens is Let's say you own the NFT. I've got some cryptocurrency. I want to buy that. It's very simple on chain for us to do what's called an atomic swap, where you get the money and I get this NFT to bar. And what does the blockchain do? It, it enables that atomic swap. It ensures that 
you get the money, I get the item, and then it, I have absolute ownership over that NFT, right? So it's all about having these kind of, a couple of things, it's trust minimized, right? So there is no intermediary required to affect that exchange. We both get like these kind of secure, strong, verifiable guarantees that we're going to get our part of the deal. And all of it is backed up by cryptography, right? So it's a really, it's, it, it's a real, really what we call like a hard exchange with hard property rights. And that is, that's quite different to how you might buy a normal piece of art off chain where you might have, you might have an auction house in the middle, you, you, you've got to send the money, then you've got to get the piece of art. And so that, those are the characteristics of, of, of like web three. So if you want to, so web three works perfectly well for on-chain commerce, mm. but if you want to extend, if you want to extend, so if you believe that the next iteration of the economy is like a web three economy, that's the next iteration of the internet and the economy, which is one of our core theses. Mm then how do we enable those same properties for off-chain assets, right? Mm. How do we enable, how can I sell, how, how can I buy from you, whether it's a t-shirt, a car, it could be a gold bar, it could be a ton of cocoa beans, it could be a keg of rare whisk, whatever it is, mm. how do I have those same com commerce properties where it's trust minimized, we don't need intermediaries with all the monopoly, friction, cost and all of that, that we get strong and verifiable claims of, of ownership. There's no, there's no chance I send you the money and I don't get the, my, the item. There's no set chance that you send the item, you don't get the money. And how can all that be guaranteed to a cryptographic sort of DeFi level? Mm -hmm. And that's the hard problem that we solve, right? And what you find is there's a strong demand for this Web3 commerce, but most of the implementations of web, web three commerce at the moment are just like, here's an NFT. Trust me. Mm -hmm. When you want your gold bar, just show me the NFT. I'll give it to you. Or here's an NFT. Trust me. When you want your sneaker, I will give it to you. But that's not really, it's nothing to do with web three, right? The web three is about all those kind of strong, verifiable claims. So, so that's the problem we solve. And the way we. We solve that problem is using smart contracts encoded with game theory and what we call crypto economics. So basically a seller will decide that they're going to sell an item. We'll list it on Boson protocol. A buyer will, will come to the protocol, see the item, like it, lock up some funds and receive an NFT, right? Mm. Now that NFT is now just like any other NFT can be traded, can be transferred, can be used as collateral for DeFi, whatever it's a, it's a full digital asset. But the key thing is that the protocol ensures like that either the buyer gets the item or, or they get their money back. And it does this by having this kind of two stage dispute resolution process. So the, the first stage is if there's a, if there's a dispute, the protocol will seek to affect like mutual resolution. So it will enable buyer and seller to communicate. And if they can agree on maybe like a, a split or a compensation, then it, if they agree, then it will execute that. And then there's a second stage where if there isn't an agreement where the dispute will escalate to a dispute resolver and that dispute resolver can be anything from a fully decentralized court, Kleros or Aragon, mm -hmm. but 
that's expensive and it could be an independent dispute resolver. And obviously, or it could be a semi-trusted entity that will attest to the quality of something, for example, that like you might find in commodities or whatever, completely flexible. But the result is that you can now engage in commerce without an intermediary. And these NFTs that you have are like, have got like DeFi level assurance that either you get the item or your money back. Mm -hmm. we, we eliminate the trust. And <clears throat> as I mentioned, there's a lot of these very early kind of Web3 commerce projects with you know, people like Nike and Adidas. They're just like issuing, like I used to at Priority Pass, like a trusted voucher. It happens to be an NFT file format. It's nothing to do with Web3. It could be a piece of paper. It's got the same properties, right? Mm -hmm. um, and also you find in real world asset tokenization of like old bars, commodities, percent of all those platforms are custodian, right? And for good reason, they're highly regulated, etc. So with Boson, we have this fully built commerce platform for enabling trust minimized commerce. And we're also extending that mechanism now to provide a layer that will overlay those custodial platforms. So you get the best of both, both worlds. You get fully regulated, like kind of real world asset tokenization finance space with a, with a trust minimized overlay. So you can also get these DeFi level trust guarantees. Real quick, I know, Joe, you got a question here next, but on top of that, so is Boson the, the platform itself? Like I'm going to Amazon and then their brands are on top of that or is Boson behind the scenes and brands are going to be used leveraging the, the protocol? So Boson is behind the scenes, it's infrastructure. And we, we're quite deliberate in that. And it, it follows a, 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 a reasonably standard model of decentralized protocols being like neutral infrastructure. So we, the reason we're decentralized, we're owned by our token holders is, and those token holders include brands. It's so that because everyone owns it, everyone benefits from it. Brands don't need to. There's this huge tug of war. The S, the, the FTC have just sued Amazon for you know, maintaining an illegal monopoly, and you know, 17 states as well. It's science fact now that Amazon competes with their sellers, right? And that's just a natural consequence of the dynamics of being a platform. And, and I think Chris Dixon very famously talked about. How all platforms initially, they want to, initially they want to collaborate and cooperate to get loads of people on the platform. Invariably then, once they've got the market power, they start to compete and eat everyone's mm -hmm. Being a decentralized network means we dissipate all of that power to the, everybody gets to share in the value they create. So where the aim is that we're this underlying, what we call like TCPIP for commerce. Imagine if ACPIP protocol that transports data across the internet had built into it a, a kind of a commercial model. And in our case, that commercial model is to charge a 0.5% transaction fee that goes back into the, the sort of boson Dow treasury and is then used to grow the network and ultimately benefit, um, all of the community and token stories of which, yeah, that, you know, the brands that use it, um, our members. Yeah, Justin, that's, that's insightful. And I think taking it a step further on, you've mentioned a few different like assets that are like real world assets that can be tokenized. In the past five years, where have you seen, well, really what guides you on choosing what type of asset to tokenize? Is it driven more from 
say people in the industry that let's say if you want to tokenize diamonds, tokenize like watches like that, the story of the Patek Philippe watch that was tokenized and turned into an NFT so that they could then use it as collateral. That had to be like, you'd have to have a physical watch dealer that was going to take custody of it and provide assurances that NFT would guarantee that you can walk in with it and get that watch back. And so if someone else bought the NFTs, is it that kind of infrastructure where you need people that are like custodians or players for that type of asset? Or do you look at something where it's just, hey, everyone, there's a lot of friction in real estate. There's a lot of documentation. Let's make that. Or talk us through that a little bit, how you think through those. Yeah. So the protocol itself is designed to be this kind of highly generic and like unopinionated about what type of assets are on top. And also what the evidence requirements are. Firstly, the, some of the designers of the protocols, there's a big chunk of protocol design, what we call techno-legal innovation, and then also a big chunk of game theory. And so on that kind of core design team, we had the, a Dr. Primavera de Filippi, who teaches like blockchain law at Harvard, designing all, the, all of that kind of the legal mechanisms protocol designer from Ethereum and a couple of world's top game theorists. And so what you have is a system that has embedded in the smart contracts an agreement at which tries to define what the intended outcome is and funds are locked up in the protocol. And so in answer to your question, for certain types of assets, you might be, you might, the evidence requirements for those assets, because for all of these kind of commercial exchanges, you've got to You've got to trade off the cost of verification with the kind of margins on the items, right? And so there's no point having a $1,000 verification method for a book, right? And so you'll see that with current e-commerce, for example, with Amazon, it's like books, et cetera, they'll get put through your letterbox, right? And so there is built into that kind of risk. We've got re reputation models and stuff that, that handle that. But at the other end of a different point on the scale, if, for example, you get an iPhone delivered, um, you might be required to put in a pin if, if someone like Amazon delivers it. With Boson, the seller can configure, yeah, a pin, or they could configure a cryptographic signature, or we can configure that there may need to be an embedded NF NFC chip that needs to get scanned. Or you could configure that the exchange needs to go via a trusted verifier, right? So for example, if it's a high-end pair of sneakers, there's loads of counterfeit, then when the seller sends the item, they send the item to a trusted sort of node that will verify yeah. it, send it on. And all of that is configurable. What Boson does is it sits underneath all of that and is this kind of exchange layer that will enable you to configure all that, that will tokenize into a standard method and then handle, if it's the happy path, it, it, it doesn't get involved too much at all. But if there's then a dispute, it will manage this kind of combination of what was the agreement includes evidence burden. So for example, if you bought a certain item, it might be enough that a courier API says it was delivered and that's taken as evidence of delivery. Or you might have had to send it through this interview. So all of this sort of stuff is configurable. And the reason being that there is like a design space of 
what is the right level of verification versus cost um, across the whole of e-commerce? And what that means is Boson can be used for anything from diamonds to sending sending someone a, a book through the post. I, I guess with that, I think the it sounds like the most comparable service that we typically use is like title and escrow. If you're buying a home and it's 500000 a million-dollar home, then you're paying a couple thousand and title and escrow fees is just something you accept because it's a, a very large item. But it's also something where you pay it and no one really ever interacts with that unless there's a problem. So just like you guys want to be at that like very base layer, they just yeah. like, oh, what's Boson doing? But it really comes down to those unique items where somebody has a title lien against you or it's those big moments where they really need to like have a specific language in there to be sorted out through predefined contracts. Yeah, I mean, that that point is actually quite important. We're on V2 of the protocol. Mm-hmm. V1, I did the, the with my co-founder is sort of technical, did the, 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 the kind of design and it worked, it was feasible. But with V2, that's when we got like the protocol designers from Ethereum and everything involved and completely transformed the protocol. So it was this thing called optimistic, which basically means if I think of it like, like a, a donor, the happy path goes through the middle and the protocol hardly gets involved, which makes it super efficient, super cheap on transactions. Protocol sits around the edges. So if there's any deviations from this happy path, it will get involved and try and push back to this kind of happy equilibrium point. So yeah, it, it, it's deliberate in minimizing the need for it to interfere with the happy path transactions. I want to shift gears here a little bit. First of all, congratulations on being selected as one of the World Economic Forum's technology pioneers. So I'd love to hear just a little bit more about that. And then in terms of the World Economic Forum, I'm on Twitter all the time and there's misconceptions. There's a lot of misinformation all over the place from both sides always. So I'd love to hear just what, what goes on at those conferences. What does it mean to be a technology pioneer? How, how many were selected? And what does that truly mean? Are you guys, are they funding you guys to some capacity or do you guys have to, I know there's a big piece around like equity, commerce, ecosystem. So can you just touch on a little bit more about that and the direction that they may be helping you or guide you guys towards? Yeah, sure. We were selected as a World Economic Forum Technology Pioneer standard two years ago. And we spent a lot of time really simplifying boson and making it just a really clear proposition for buyers and sellers and that's essential but under the hood <clears throat> there is this fundamental problem of how do you solve the these kind of fair exchange and the other one is this physical asset oracle problem so that i mentioned physical asset oracle problem is if i tokenize a physical item how can i guarantee that i'll actually get the asset right which is a pretty fundamental one and then the fair exchange problem is the problem that intermediaries like Amazon solve, right? But in order for Web3 to not be completely constrained to just on-chain transactions, there needs to be these bridges to the real world, right? And when we were developing Boson, there was a lot of discussion about whether it was even possible to make these sort of bridges. So in that regard, Boson is quite a breakthrough because it extends the scope of Web3 from a kind of internet technology to a technology that can run a new economy, right? And that is seen as pretty profound. I co-published within the World Economic Forum 
an article with the world's number one blockchain professor, Professor Jason Potts, on the fact what Web3 enables. If you, if you think about how you can chain transactions together to do yield farming or people can do flash loan attacks, the reason that within DeFi you can do that stuff it's because all of those transactions are completely deterministic. And once you set them up, no one can stop. They just run. But the trouble with dealing with real world assets is you've got all this counterparty risk. You've got contracts. You've got things that are fuzzy and they don't always execute as planned. And technologies like Boson span that and mean that you get this kind of what we call like a more computable economy, which is a kind of a, like an upgrade to, to, to the economy. So. They were very heavily involved in that, in, in understanding this, the properties of technologies like Boson can fundamentally change the economy into computable transactions. And, and, and that's pretty profound. So they, they, they've been very helpful in that and publishing those ideas, connecting us with large organizations. And then I think probably politically, our views are quite diametrically opposed, but they've been very welcoming in terms of inviting and to some extent enduring me within like I'm on the kind of the metaverse working group where they're looking at different policy and regulations for things like metaverse and web three technologies. And I'm a pretty vocal voice that web three technologies have somewhat of a bad reputation at the moment, but the reality is we, we built these technologies as a response to the fact that web two was broken. And I, I would say broken by design, right? Web two technologies and all these kind of platform technologies are very carefully crafted to extract maximum value from consumers. And if you look at how they've enabled our elections to be hacked, they've enab enabled massive monopolies like Amazon to just eat commerce. Uh, all the privacy breaches, all of these issues. And Web3 is a set of technologies that at its heart is designed to put the power back to people. So I would say, I think we, our politics are quite far apart, but they've been very helpful. I would say useful. And it's my responsibility to, if I get speak truth to power. And also promote Boson and Web3 and certainly being invited to go to Davos and meet all these different, it's done us no harm. And we're at the stage with Boson now where we've built all the core technology and what we're doing now is plugging into legacy infrastructure. So we've just done a, a, a side, a big deal with WooCommerce. So WooCommerce and WordPress and Automatic, about 40% all the websites are built on that stack. And we've got a strategic partnership with them where Boson will be embedded, which just is like plugging into these massive scale distribution channels. Mm. And I guess the endorsement and connections that being a technology pioneer with World Economic Forum provide us are invaluable with doing that. But I've always been very clear on my views on, 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 on wanting to democratize and decentralize power back to kind of consumers yeah no there's something oh god i was gonna say there's something encouraging for us i think as avi mentioned we see a lot in really the web3 twitter space is concern over these very idealistic goals of what decentralization can do what a lot of the DAOs can do by giving more rights more data ownership and privacy back to the consumer and 
there's fear there that, you know, with different organizations like the World Economic Forum, that some of the more traditional bankers that have been like really controlling commerce for a long time, we're going to co-opt the movement and come out with the ETFs. And that was going to be their way to make profits off of the whole movement. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. So would you say, you mentioned, I think speaking truth to power is a good way to put it. Is it a hard sell for you to come in and say, hey, no, let's use my protocol versus saying, hey, JP Morgan's, no, we're going to use the permission, the Onyx blockchain to do all this real world tokenization. All we need is a niche to grow initially, a Mm -hmm. beach, because just to answer your first question, there is massive opposition. I think the state I'm, I'm attending the the Balaji's network state conference in Amsterdam and at a state level, they realize now the risk of cryptocurrency to, you know, sovereign currencies. They, they realize that. I know the banks realize the risk of DeFi to the traditional finance, et cetera. And I've no doubt Amazon recognizes as the world's biggest intermediary, the code could replace company there. So definitely. And, and, and I think my view is a lot of the stuff that's happening in the U S with regulation is polit- politically coordinated attempts to prevent this technology because they're protecting the status quo, right? And that's my view. Um, but as with all these changes, it's, it's like a paradigm change, right? I believe that if you had an option to hire a taxi when you landed at JFKF and you had two options, one was to use Uber and the other was to use a decentralized option. Let's say it has the same UX, blah, blah, blah. And maybe it was a bit cheaper, but that guy who's on minimum wage is going to earn 30% more. Plus maybe you own some tokens in this thing. And so the more it gets used, the more your investment goes up. So you're a shareholder, but not like you're one of eight equals. I just think if we present consumers understand that paradigm, here's a technology that not only returns the power to them and protection to them, but enables them to share in the value they create. You look at Facebook. It's all of us, if not us, because I don't, I don't use Facebook, but it's, it's all of the users that generate the value that all of these networks create, um, and offer, offer people, once people understand and they get a real choice between being the product and, and being part of a community, that I think is what will cause a shift away from these kind of web two monopolies towards us all just owning the infrastructure and being part of the community and supporting and. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's fascinating what you're saying. Cause you know, I had a, a buddy of mine who was launching this whole idea of like data. We are the, the product, right? If something is free, it's not free. Like yeah. they're taking all of our data and then they're reselling that to marketers. And then that kind of goes down the line. Now, what you're talking about to simplify it essentially is instead of all these huge institutions taking the vast majority of that wealth is instead of the product costing that X amount of money, it's now costing a lot less because it's going to, you don't need to pay all that money directly into that organization. It's going to be democratized essentially across the, the board there. So I think that is fascinating. And going back to just like this theory of technology is going to find a way to, to, to innovate and people are going to always go towards that. So we were talking with Aviad Stein over at Broadridge and this massive institution 
he's the head of innovation, right? And he's moving more towards this Web3 blockchain, really infrastructure, un- identifying kind of the regulations, the, the glossary behind everything. And so you see it more and more, like Citibank, you see all these companies now starting to pop up. Do you see this battle between the big bankers who are trying to fight this, as you're talking about? Are they eventually going to have to cave, right? It's this whole game theory where they like, if they don't change, someone's going to surpass them eventually, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is actually like the first masters I did was on digital innovation. And this is all the sort of stuff I studied. So it's a bit of an obsession of mine. But if you look at that there's great works like The Innovator's Dilemma by Professor Clayton Christensen that talks about how what happens is initially incumbents will take technology and apply it in the same paradigm. So, for example, the first cars didn't have steering wheels. They had like boat tillers, right? And you're, what, you're, what we're doing is seeing these centralized intermediaries going and using blockchains to tokenize assets, but in a trusted, completely custodial way, right? Which gives you 20, 30% of the value, right? Likewise, like I said, you've got brands that are using an NFT to offer you a completely trusted, it could be a piece of paper, trusted promise to get an item. Mm. But the real value is unlocked when you use the paradigm to its full extent, right? When, and that's why it's very simple. Amazon was the disruptor once, right? And if you look at like Barnes and Noble. I was thinking um, Blockbuster, right? Like Blockbuster. Blockbuster and Netflix is another classic, right? They had. And the thing is, this whole notion of the innovator's dilemma is that incumbents do not have, incumbents have a disincentive to disrupt their own business model. They've got a core competency. They've got customers that love their product. Why would they disrupt that for this small, unprofitable group of customers? Like the mobile phone's the classic thing, right? You couldn't sell a mobile phone in 1980. I don't even have a landline anymore. But what they did is they found stockbrokers who didn't mind looking like idiots. They looked like that anyway, but no. um, <laughs> they were making really expensive phone calls. It became a status symbol. And the phone was really expensive, really crappy signal. It was inferior in almost every dimension apart from mobile. And so they found that niche. Fast forward 30 years, and most people don't even have, in, in the UK certainly, I don't. I never call people's landlines. It's just mobile to mobile. But it looked like a really difficult adoption path to sell these massive things with a suitcase back in the 80s. And yet we get here, we've got total ubiquity. And so I think you will see DeFi eat the world. But my personal view is that the, the technology gap between the two is so large that you will see crossover hybrids. I think having custodial, regulated, real-world asset tokenizers that understand the domain, whether it's property, this, that, and the other, combining with protocols like Boson, so you get full trust-minimized exchange with all of that regulated end as well, mm-hmm. that you're combining two core competencies into a killer app. Like, the, you know, the same with the, the partnership we've just done with WooCommerce, where you've got all of this kind of web infrastructure, and all of that, you know, amazing e- e-commerce know-how mm-hmm. with basically the, the, the 
DeFi meets commerce in Boson. And when you combine those two, I think that's where we're going to bridge worlds and sit because there's massive amounts of value that, that can flow. Our strategy is to try and connect this plumbing between these different sinks of value so that it flows, basically. Mm-hmm. How far out do you think we are? Because I know coming back to the World Economic Forum, they're very public about this agenda 2030. Is it 2030 that we've reached that ubiquity or is you think we're like really need to scale up here? And with kind of all of this chitter chatter on Twitter and people now pushing back, the dichotomy between people have, have become so crazy where it's like a lot of pushback, right? So do you think we hit that by 2030 or? Well, I think the type of system that we're looking at is like a complex adaptive system, mm-hmm. which has a number of future possible histories that we could go down and that it's non-deterministic in terms of which one we go down but i think there are different probabilities i think that the upgrade to the economy is like on the scale of if you look at if you look at like the history of humanity we've had these technologies like we had language that took us from just being i guess like apes to being in a tribe right Then we had writing that took us from a tribe to a civilization. Then you have things like invention of money, scientific method, markets, and you start getting to the modern economy. Each one of these things is like going from like an RNA to a DNA. It's like the substrate supports the complexity on top. And the thing is that I think we will look back in five years and say that it would be negligent to transact any value on something other than a blockchain. In the same way, it would be negligent for Walmart to go and collect their cash in, a, in an Uber, right? You do it in, a, in an armed van, right? You exchange value using a blockchain because if anything goes wrong, why were you using an insecure man? And so I think it's a fundamental upgrade. Whether it happens and where it happens, I think depends on a number of circumstances, but I think we've already seen traditional finance. Look at Larry Fink said recently about tokenization is the future of finance and securities. That's just, and so many of these kind of, all of the big traditional finance players are dipping their toes in the water. And okay, it might be this quite superficial initial adoption, but that's normal. Like, like we said with the, the cars with the boat tillers, it's the first stage and then of course, consumers, and, and, and the other thing we've got to think about consumers is this next generation, for the next generation of consumers, this isn't new and, the, and this isn't scary or complex. This will just be just like my daughter teaches my dad how to use the iPad, right? She's more familiar with an iPad than she is turning the pages of a book. And mm-hmm. so that paradigm shift. And are they going to want this kind of like superficial, crappy version of Web3? Yeah. No, they're going to be wanting. And that's what, if you look at like Amazon and Facebook and YouTube, that the internet generation demanded like web native companies' products, right? They didn't want the crappy products of the, like the industrial age who created a website. And so I think those are the things that will cause the change. I think finance is going to be a massive one. I think commerce is going to be a massive one. And I think we've already seen things like culture and those three fusing together, I I think is going to be the the kind of core of the 
the change. Speaking of old websites and commerce, I think the one thing that we would love, and this is something that Avi and I have dealt with, is if you want to go buy a domain and it's not for sale, then you contact them, they respond potentially via email, and then there's no medium of exchange to make sure that you have access to that that domain once you buy it. So you have to come up with your own game theory rules of, okay, do I give them half? And then they send me half on return. And how do you get verification that they control that domain? And that's something that is just like TCP and IP, something that's natively part of the internet that's very hard to exchange. And if you go to GoDaddy, which is similar to Amazon, you pay $70 just for them to broker it but they don't give you a price. And so you yeah. could pay $7. And, and they own it. Too, or they'll buy and, it. And they find out they own it too. So they're like Amazon playing their own marketplace. Yeah, yeah. that is precisely the fair exchange problem. Yeah. Super frustrating. So we would love to see both on protocol there. I guess one thing that we were also thinking and love to get your thoughts on is just voting. Do you think that voting on chain is going to be a possibility within the next decade? I think that the, the whole area of governance and voting and game theory has now become one of the most researched and hottest areas of like human development. And I think one of the reasons from probably since ancient Greek times, because one of the reasons we have democracy is pragmatism, right? Wanting to have some form of decentralized governance, and yet realizing not everybody can vote on everything. Now there is a whole design space of how do, how do things get governed? And I think all of these kind of blockchain projects and DAOs and all of this are just all running these research. There must be a thousand times more research into governance and methods and stuff today than there was 20 years ago because of all of this. And there's some like amazing academic research and that on, on, on this area. I think that the governance possibilities of, of blockchains are going to fundamentally change how humans organize each other, organize themselves moving forward. Cause at the moment we're only constrained to what's possible, right? It's not possible to do anything too sophisticated. Look, look at how expensive and time consuming and fraught is to, to do a a general election, right? Yeah. So I think that it's, it's going to transform human society. Yeah. I think that's one of the most fascinating things. And we've asked that to a lot of our, our guests because in theory, it makes so much sense. You can go check and verify that your vote went in and everyone can see that one person, one vote. In theory, that sounds amazing, but then it opens it up. We were talking with Carol House about this and she was saying it's not just that simple. There's huge governments that could, you have to think about hackers coming in and there's so much that's so not going to happen overnight, but, um, it is good to start thinking about that way and being able to democratize and maybe not, you know, I'm thinking in America, you have two major parties, right? Uh, what if you could just vote on policies, like specific policies, like that would be very interesting if like, maybe yeah. I vote down the entire line, but I'd prefer for this one, I'm one side for this one, I'm another side. Right. And so that could really open the doors to yeah. truly democratize our policies. Yeah. I mean, there's also, there's the whole notion of apathy and that people's, people's think that they have more desire to vote for everything than they do. Right. Right? Maybe they do the first two votes and never again. That's one thing. And then the other thing is if we're going to vote on, if there is a vote on, I don't know, 
some complex economic question or some complex medical question, I don't want to vote. I would like to delegate my vote to somebody that I believe is in a position to make a. And so I think things like being able to delegate, <laughs> and to be honest with you, if it was a question of some sort of national health or on, on, on medical or mm. expert areas like that, I wouldn't be voting on party lines. I'd be thinking, okay, this person articulate it. And, and, and again, so I, I think the whole notion of parties as, as well is a, a relic from the fact that we had to bundle things together and then is it A or B, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you've got a ballot paper and you're going to vote every five years. Like, yeah, I think, I think all of these different features and factors are going to come in, are going to come into play. It's going to be hugely disruptive for government. I'm sure there's a whole load of stuff that we're going to get wrong, but I believe there's also the option here to upgrade like humanity has done many times from systems that hit their ceiling. And me, it feels like human organization and politics and finance has hit its ceiling, right? It feels like we've got some problems there, but humanity is, is resourceful and has time after time upgraded the kind of substrates so that it can operate at a high. Justin, thank you for so much for your time. I know we're seven minutes over, so I want to give you time back and just really, there's a lot of complex issues. We could probably spend seven hours talking about this. But let's do that next time over a few beers. Yeah, let's do it. So next time you're in New York, we'll get uh, Jody out from Bend, Oregon and we'll make it yeah. happen. So thanks yeah. so much again, Justin. Pleasure. Appreciate thanks. it.